What up, what up, what up everyone? Welcome to episode 158, you heard it right, episode 158 of Combo's Court, and I am Combo. Let me know how you feel about the show right in the comments section of your Apple Podcast app. Rate and review wherever you listen to Combo's Court and share this episode with a friend. I would greatly appreciate it. Today's show, Dan Favalli of Bleacher Report and NBA Math joins in. A great conversation with Dan. Dan shares his thoughts on analytics. First, the eye test when he's forming an opinion. We also discuss the small ball Houston Rockets. And I share my thoughts on Anthony Edwards' game, plus so much more. You could find Dan on Twitter at Dan Favalli. That's D-A-N-F-A-V-A-L-E. You know you can find me on Instagram at 12combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. or he's trying to find ways to measure catch-all impact, whether it be a player's entire value, um, total points added, the TPA, which is the trademark stat, we're just sort of looking at how much value players add by play type, if you're looking at isolation possessions or spotting possessions. So he's always had a passion and a knack for for doing that stuff, and so when he told me he wanted to start a website and wanted uh, to he considered smart, that's... You know, that's his prerogative for making a bad decision there, but to come on just as an editor to, to try and create content there, start a podcast, um, we used to have a writing program, we steered away from that, uh, but, but it's, been, it's been fun, and I, I give all the credit to him because he does a lot of work there, and I think he's made the whole sort of make uh, metrics just more accessible to the, the regular NBA fans that not seem so advanced or How do you like balancing analytics and the eye test when you're forming? So, I, I think one can just inform the other. There's, you know, particularly the beginning of the season, where it's, for someone like me who covers the league at large, uh, it's just, I would love to know exact lows 
the past habits are because I just have trouble keeping up with everything. So like if I'm going to see numbers that jump off the page at me, like, yeah, I'm going to go back and look at film and see if it matches up that, right. you know, let's say Gary Harris is shooting negative 5% from three. Like I want to see that, like what's happening there. And then it can be vice versa. If you're watching something where it's, um, you know, I'm a big Frank Nielakina guy and I think he's actually going to be a pretty okay offensive player in the long run. And when I watch him, I just see a smoothness that's never going to be reflected in the numbers. So I try not to let one side influence me too much, but I, I do think, you know, there's this, it might be a manufactured war at this point between analytics and, and the eye test. I think both parties can be guilty of it. I do think there are people that rely on numbers too much and don't provide enough anecdotal context. And then um, there's definitely the flip side of it. But for someone like me, I do find numbers valuable because I'm never going to be a straight X's and, and O's guy. Like I'm not going to be able to identify like, you know, top locking in real time. Like I've always right. had trouble keeping up with certain things like that. I can watch a pick and roll and see what's happening. But if you're not an X's and O's person and you want to learn more about specific play types, um, I do think that numbers can, can really help there. I think a lot of people aren't as high on Frank as you are, probably mostly because of the shooting, and we, we value shooting so much in the modern NBA. But there are a lot of people who feel like he would be a lot better on a better team. <laughs> Look, anyone who's on the Knicks right now, we can just assume gets 10 to 20% better. <laughs> right, with, a the, with, with, a, with regular NBA spacing, of course. You know? <laughs> yeah, uh, and that's the other thing is you have these guards on the Knicks that can't really shoot well, and your uh, bright idea was to surround them with a bunch of bigs who also can't shoot and many right. of whom need the ball in their hands. So right. uh, Nick's going to Nick's, I guess. Where do you land on Kevin Knox's future? Like, do you feel that's a product of spacing? Because um, when Kevin Knox came out, you know, watching him in summer league a little bit, I mean, you could just tell he had all the tools to be a good NBA player. At the least, you would think he could fit like the, mo the NBA's most coveted position, a 3 and D guy. But there was a chance that he could have been a lot more than that. He hasn't overwhelmed. He's kind of underwhelmed, actually. Uh, where do you land on Kevin Knox's future? I was definitely biased against him to begin with because I really thought they should have taken – I was a big Shea Gilgis-Alexander guy, and I'm wrong in the draft all the time. It just so happens that SGA is someone uh, – Well, you're definitely right on that yeah. one. Um, but for Kevin Knox, what's weird is that I don't – watching him, like in studying up on him after he was drafted, looking at some of the, um, the film from when he was at Kentucky, like I just never saw um, what some people wanted to see on the defensive end. I, I feel like he probably needs to get stronger before he's really an asset there, even though he has like fairly good size for a wing. But with me, if you remember what he was doing in summer league, they essentially haven't let him do any of that. I feel like yeah. at the actual NBA level and then his minutes specifically this season have just been all over the place. And I think as a youngster, a, a kind of loose rule of thumb for me has always been, I'm going to throw numbers out of the equation if they're terrible for the first two years. Because yes. I, I do think that you need to get sort of like a feel for the, for the NBA game. I'm a big believer in that. And to not have a consistent role when you're on the court or even know when you're going to actually be on the court, I, I think it hurts him. Do I think that he can be um, that sort of primary hub we saw in summer league? I don't because he was scoring at an incredibly inefficient clip there. And so maybe there's a chance that he improves a great deal if given the freedom. I just don't know if he ever gets that freedom. I really thought that he was going to develop into, you know, maybe the secondary ball handler can, can attack some closeouts, generate his own shot when needed, but he was going to hit these threes, you know, catch and shoot off the ball. And that really hasn't happened. And I, I think a lot of it is organizational. He might not be a good NBA player. I think the odds are overwhelmingly stacked against him at this point. But if you put him on a better team, you know, let's put Shea Gilgis-Alexander on the Knicks and Kevin Knox on the Clippers for that first season. Uh, yes. Does Kevin Knox look any better? Does Shea Gilgis-Alexander look any worse? I think there's probably a chance that we're saying yes to both of those questions. 
Right. And speaking of patience, uh, you said it takes two, about two years. Sometimes it takes four years to, uh, for some of the great players to become great. And I've said that before on the podcast. And I think this NBA draft is going to be the per- perfect example of that. Um, a lot of people are low on the draft. I'm not that low on the draft. I see a lot of players with star potential, to be honest. Like, but there's a lot of guys that are just missing something right now that could be gained in the future. Like, like Halliburton probably needs to get stronger. LaMelo and Killian uh, should probably have an improved jump shot. I like Edwards a lot. I think he has the highest upside. But there was times in games where he disappeared, and I'd like to see him develop a floater. I think that would help his game a lot. But uh, where do you land on the NBA draft, and who do you like in this year's draft? So normally I go through a crash course of draft study right in the lead-up, but since we don't really know when the draft has been, I'm probably the wrong person to ask. I do – I'm not a fan – of LaMelo I just I've only seen highlights of what he's done but I just I don't trust his efficiency and I don't know how well his his the type of shots he's taking and making how that's going to translate just to the NBA when you look at at his build right now like maybe if he gets stronger um, I know people have been really high on his passing so I could just be completely off base there Um, Anthony Edwards though seems the most intriguing to me that I might just be most drawn to his his physical profile and so I think some of the things that I've read, at least, it feels like people aren't quite sure maybe what he's going to end up being offensively in the NBA. And I haven't seen enough of him um, to know anything about that. But, you know, you're the one who's actually played. Like, do you look at him and think that he's going to have, you know, played uh, basketball uh, professionally? Like, do you think that he has it in him to be an impactful player on the offensive end at the NBA level? Yes, I do, because he could score on three levels and he gets his shot off effortlessly. I'd like to see him develop a floater, though. Um, that's the biggest takeaway I take from his game is that he gets his shot off so easily. You know, the only thing that concerns me is that if he doesn't end up being a go-to guy, what would be his role? He'd have to become better catch and shoot. He would have to uh, really focus in on defense. But he actually passes the ball a lot better than people might realize. And he's super athletic. But a lot of his finishes in college were like right at the rim, which mm-hmm. he might not get at the NBA level. So that's why I keep going back to that floater game that I'd like to see him develop. I just see whenever it's like sub 30% shooting from three in college from a wing, I'm always just like red flags go off in my head. And I think that's probably an unfair stigma, but that's just, again, I know so little about him that seeing that is probably what scares me the most. You know what I would like to look at right now is his free throw percentage. Cause sometimes when you're a little bit lower from three, the free throw percentage shows right. you that uh, you could become a improved shooter. I, I have to look at those numbers. He's a, he was at 77 too. Oh, that's uh, not bad. That's pretty good. No, and I mean, he was taking a ton. I give him credit for taking a ton of threes. Normally when you see, yes. you know, if it's like on two attempts and he's shooting 30%, like maybe you can't, you know, maybe that's actually more of a red flag, but he was taking almost eight per game, which is actually absurd. He wasn't even playing 35 minutes. So I give him credit for doing that. Yeah, yeah. And, and I've said it on this podcast before. Um, the first person that he reminded me of, his NBA comp, was Lance Stevenson. That's who I saw. I think he oh, could God. Become, <laughs> I think No, no, but I think he could become better than Lance Stevenson because I think he's a better passer and an even better athlete. Uh, he might not even have the handle that actually uh, Lance has, but he definitely has a higher potential than Lance. That's just who he reminded me of in the spur of the moment. Is he the only guy you would take number one right now? I've seen just so many different guys thrown into that conversation. Him or Wiseman. Okay. And uh, I like Killian a lot, man. He's, he's not shooting the ball great as of now uh, overseas, but it was improved, and I really like his poise. You know, he's a, he's a, he's, he's a good player. You know, it's a tough draft really tough but I would go with Wiseman or Edwards I think Wiseman just based off the mocks I've read it feels I now I'm interviewing you it seems like so I apologize <laughs> but it feels like he has the widest scope 
of outcomes in the draft where it's like, oh, you've yes. seen him go number one, but you've also seen him. I think I saw him go seven in one instance yes. or six or something like that. There's a Killian Hayes is like that. Like some people like him super high. I think some people, from what I remember, would have him in the mid teens. I think with big men, it's just crazy now, you know? Yeah. Because who won? Not many teams really need a center, and then you, you're always, I think, nowadays probably wary about expending. Uh, I would say maybe up to a top seven pick on a center. Right. Do you think the Warriors would benefit from a center right now? Because I do. I, I think they would, just more so because I'm not sure. You know, Draymond Green didn't play a, a ton of center this year, and I'm also just not sure. Even if you want to lean back into the Draymond at the five units. I just don't know how well he's going to hold up over time. I know this year was kind of a throwaway year for him and it didn't look like he was too engaged, but there's also just been, it feels like there just might be some real physical regression with him. If you're fast forwarding, you know, a year or two down the line. And so to have someone properly sized at the five definitely helps, even just if you're not planning on having him make an immediate impact. And then that's the other thing that I struggle with looking at the Warriors is what is their intentions to do with whoever they pick? Are they actually going to try and develop uh, whichever kid they take, or is this going to try and be immediately re- rerouted as part of some blockbuster package for uh, a player that we don't necessarily know about who becomes available later? Yeah. You know, you said this was a throwaway season. Um, it, this might've been the best season to have a throwaway season, right? Yeah. I mean, think about, <laughs> I, just think about the teams. Like I go back to the Clippers, they gave up a first round pick and I think a second round pick for Marcus Morris. And if you knew that the season was going to be canceled, like you don't make that trade. Like, yes, you can resign him in free agency because he's making so much and all that. But right. would you have given up a first round pick for Marcus Morris, knowing that the season wasn't going to, to ever really finish. And I, I just keep going back to, there's so many things at play, but just the teams that went sort of all in on these win now moves yeah. and to not have the season play out. Like that actually ends up being a pretty big deal, particularly for those who gave up first round picks. For sure. And speaking of all in, um, who would I be not asking somebody that's a part of NBA math about the Houston Rockets? Is that going to be the biggest what if ever, if, if this season doesn't conclude? Because I really wanted to see them in the playoffs. I don't know if they'll run it back the same way, but what were your thoughts on Houston heading into the playoffs? Yeah, it, it would be one of the biggest what ifs. I actually think it would end up working against most teams. The, the two squads that would bother me the most uh, against the Rockets would be matchups with the Clippers because they, they seem like they're built to play literally yeah. however they want. But it, you could right. put Marcus Morris at center, Jermichael Green. You still have Zubats. You have Harrell. There are just so many different ways they could play. And then I do think the Lakers, having Anthony Davis at the five, like he's not someone that's going to be mismatched off the floor. So if you want to pull what the Jazz did and put Rudy Go, uh, put Anthony Davis on Russell Westbrook like Utah did with Rudy Gobert, I actually think that has a chance of working. I just don't trust the Lakers' depth around him then. But aside from those two teams, I actually think the Rockets would have probably come out ahead in most matchups and you look at right now their prospective path to get out of the West, it actually would have provided the best uh, case examples to me. Uh, Their first round matchup right now would be the Nuggets who have Jokic and he's probably another guy who could punish the way they play. So can they beat them? And then if you get to go up against the Clippers in, in round two, you know, if you play a team that is actually built to play the way you play, we'd one be clued in on whether teams would be more likely to sort of lean into how the Rockets are playing against the Rockets. And then if you're the Rockets, can you beat that when, when you're really going style for style? And then I would have loved to have seen them, how they made it all the way to the conference finals, um, just how they match up with the Lakers. And you pointed yeah. out, it, there's a real chance it ends up being a what if, because my guess would be they don't run it back in its entire form right now. Even if it's just a matter of they don't bring back Mike D'Antoni, the team probably ends up being a little bit different. And who knows with the whole thing 
that's happening with Tillman for, for Tita and, and his business, is he going to be willing to shoulder the type of payroll he has next season? They're certainly not going to go into the tax now. And so their ability to even maintain slash improve this team is kind of restrained. And so this might've been their best shot at a title of the James Harden, Russell Westbrook era, which is only not even a season old at this point. Yeah, I wonder if anybody will try this again, like going with the 6'6 six, six center, everybody hitting the three. It's tough, though, when you don't have players like uh, Westbrook and James inserted into something like that. So it's, it, it's hard to duplicate, but it'll be interesting to see if anybody tries it. Yeah, and it takes a special – like you need to have a P.J. Tucker or a Draymond Green to probably do it effectively. Because so, we talk Yeah, P.J. Tucker, like especially with that corner three. like Yeah, and his just – you know, the, the scope of guys that he can defend is – absolutely yeah. huge and so I don't know you know when you talk about maybe other guys who could play small ball five right now like I don't think any names spring off the page like we're intrigued by or at least I am by lineups that have Giannis Antetokounmpo at the five Milwaukee but that dude's like seven feet tall so it doesn't it doesn't really count in that regard and, and so it's almost like yeah you need the players like Russell Westbrook and James Harden to really make it work as well but you also need that PJ Tucker Draymond Green type guy and I feel like those are just very rare type of players right now. Yeah, I feel I felt like they had to make that move for Westbrook because oh, I mean, for sure. and also it kind of made him into the go-to guy. Like he was going to have to be the main guy for that to work because he just James Harden creates so much more space for the driver and for the guy handling the ball, um, and he's so much better catch and shoot. Even though that's not really his game, but man, just it would have been Westbrook with the basketball most of the time. It would have been interesting to see. It's it's maybe I'm wrong here, but it's wild that it took. 10 plus years for Russell Westbrook's team, whichever team it may be to surround him with, with just shooting. It right. never happened in Oklahoma city. And I never understood why. And it not only did it never happen. It always seemed like he was surrounded by not just like one or two non-shooters, but three. And it just right. never made sense to me. And it never made sense that a team can't figure out a way to do that with Ben Simmons. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like I think a team would be ridiculous if they just surrounded Ben Simmons with shooters. Um, his life would be so easy. He would make everybody else's life around him so easy. I would love to see it. It's not going to happen with the, the way the Sixers are currently constructed, but I would love to see that, me personally. Yeah, the same here. I mean, I actually think him and Joel Embiid can work. It's just don't complicate the fit even further by not putting shooting and secondary ball handling like around them. You have, I know like Tobias Harris is good, um, but Josh Richardson's probably overstretched as a secondary ball handler. Al Horford's an okay floor spacer for his his position. Or not, really not, too, not too good this year, though, right? Yeah, no, bad yeah. this year. And, and yeah. really good – he's always been really good relative to his position, but, like, you don't look at Al Horford and think that he's a shooter. And then Philly doesn't even run enough pick and pops, I feel like, for it to make sense to have even signed him. So it's – I totally agree with you. I'd love to see just lineups with Simmons surrounded by four shooters. A lot of – I don't think it would work exactly the same way, but maybe a lot of what happens with Giannis in, in Milwaukee, but at the very least, like don't confine him even further where you're going to have two to three non-shooters around him at, at all times. I think a team will figure it out with Ben Simmons one day. And I think it's going to really work out for him. Um, I'm a, I'm a believer in that. I really am. Well, he's already like, is, is he not a top 20 player right now? Oh, for sure. I'm yeah. a lot. I, 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 first of all, like, I mean, I don't know if you've heard my podcast before, but I'm a lot higher on Ben Simmons than many others, and I'm a lot lower on Giannis than many others. That's been my thing for a long time now. So uh, a lot Ooh, of people I'd be curious to me. hear why you're lower on Giannis than a lot of others. Well, I think he's great. I just think there's a lot of guys better than him. That like when somebody says he's the best player in the NBA, I just don't see that to be the case. 
because I think, I mean, LeBron is obviously better than him. Uh, healthy KD is better than him. James Harden. Kawhi could score on three levels. One of the greatest defensive players. You know, two championships. One as the main guy. I just think there's a lot of guys that are better Giannis. And when people say he has the crown, I just don't agree with that. I think, so I would be one of the people that would say he's the best player in the NBA right now. But I actually do think there's serious merit to sort of that stance of, you know, kind of as you alluded to, he does seem more schemable than a yes. lot of these guys in the playoffs. Yes. When, you look at a, when you look at a Kawhi or a LeBron specifically. And then the other thing you kind of alluded to, which isn't really something I've given a ton of thought to, is can his peak be extended the way it has been for some of these other players? Because what does he look like if he doesn't have the ball in his hands oh, as much? Yeah. This team, so, that's another thing. This team is totally created around him, unlike a Ben Simmons, you know? Right. So I, I, I think those are fair points. I'd probably still default – um, to thinking that he's the best player in the game right now. But certainly the playoff factor there, just looking at kind of what happened uh, in, over the past couple of uh, postseasons, I think once against the Celtics and last year against the Raptors as well. They're, they're, I think that it's fair to have concern there. And then it would also be fair to wonder, you know, how long can he keep this up just because, you know, maybe there's like a point in his career where he's used as the role man a lot and then is still just as effective. But uh, he doesn't seem like someone um, – some of these guys, I feel like if you displace them from the ball, they could lose rhythm or just lose yes. impact. And I, yes. I, who knows if Giannis Antetokounmpo could be a player that, that can play under those conditions. Yeah, let me ask you this question, Dan. How would anybody scheme against Anthony Davis? Because I just don't see it. I think – so I don't know if this counts as scheming, but and, and maybe it's flawed uh, thinking on my part, but I, I would almost want to put someone on him in the post that would maybe try and like coax him into more post-ups because even if he ends up eating and shooting like 50 plus percent in the post, I feel like those are the types of plays you can live with from him. Uh, whereas if you really let him get out in transition or work into the, the pick and roll, like that's where he's most unstoppable. And then uh, I don't think we've seen it so much as much this season with the Lakers because their spacing isn't that pristine, but you also don't want to let him sort of be like, in these face-up positions against certainly traditional yeah. bigs because he can really just, um, over the past few years, it does sometimes, the way I've described it for him is he looks like controlled chaos because I always think he's going to dribble the ball off his knee or just lose the ball. Yeah. He gets through these tight spaces. He has just some, it seems like pretty crafty footwork and can spin a little bit. And so if you let him get going downhill in any way, basically, I guess, that would be, I don't know how you actually stop him. And so my, if I were a team, like if the Rockets face the Lakers, I might try and entice uh, the Lakers to, to going to AD in the post by putting James Harden on Anthony Davis. Now, how do you get there? Because you have to have someone else on Davis until he's in the post. Otherwise Harden will get carved up in the pick and roll. Uh, but that, that's really the yeah. only thing I could think of. Yeah, I mean, he's just, like, in transition. He's one of the greatest lob threats ever, I think. The way he makes touch shots is underrated. He gets, like, a lot of quick hitters, you know? And as you said, like, if they would go to that post-up, I think you're right. I just don't know if the Lakers would go to that. I think yeah, LeBron be, seems like he's smarter than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he's just going to, you know, he's going to crash the boards. He's going to make touch shots. He's, he's not the greatest catch-and-shoot shooter, but he would make those as well. Kind of hard to scheme against him. I've always wondered, is there anything that you see? I, like, why is he not a better shooter? Like, the form on his jump yeah, shot right. looks really good. And I know a lot of it's probably volume-based where he should have been taking more three-pointers sooner. But I always thought that he was going to end up being, like, a really reliable catch-and-shoot guy. And it's just – it's never happened. And I, I just – I don't un – I honestly don't understand why. Yeah, is it that he's not getting the reps up he should? I have no idea. I'm not with him every day, <laughs> you know? But it's like, you're right. He has great form, and I would think he would become – a better catch and shoot player. And if he was that, that would be really scary, man. 
Yeah, like we're not even talking about he needs to hit these off the bounce threes. Oh no, no, no. Escape yeah. threes. If he's just hitting catch and shoot threes at a league average clip, it's, it feels like it's game over. Yeah, and, and nobody would be able to contest his shot, change his shot, which they can't now. Even you know he's he just shoot, and that's another thing. He could shoot right over double teams, kind of like a Durant. Obviously, not as well as Durant, mm-hmm. but he could just get a shot off whenever he wants. Yeah, that's anytime you mention Kevin Durant's name, I miss I miss watching him play. Just he makes offense look so easy. Yeah, he's underrated, I think, all time. Um, right now, he's just – he's incredible, that guy. Yeah, there's – I've always defaulted to LeBron as the best – like, I don't oh. know that I've ever had KD over him, but when you look at the all-time rankings, KD has to go down, I would think, as a top-ten player of all time. Well, like, he I will. Would, and if he wins another championship, then it's no question. You can't even debate. Yeah, I mean, maybe, I guess, if he doesn't come back as well from injury, that's the thing to really look at. But like you were just saying, the way he can shoot – over anybody, even if this next version of KD doesn't really work too hard off the dribble and he's just, you know, catching the ball, maybe doing these like one dribble step backs or something, that's probably still a top 10, top 15 player in the league anyway. Can you make an argument that he's the most skilled player ever? Ooh. I mean, when you look at the way he's just able to get to his spots and what he's done with the ball hands and he had that playmaking leap a couple years back and then he's probably had I would say it's inconsistent but it does feel like he can be a really good defender I just don't I I didn't see it too much last year but earlier on in his tenure with the Warriors he felt like he was spectacular I think you could certainly I I think there's there's probably a ton of players that belong in that discussion but he's he's certainly there for sure okay so uh, the Nets are looking for a new coach I don't know if you heard but there's some names being thrown around Mark Jackson Ty Lue Jeff Van Gundy Jason Kidd Jacques Vaughn I'd like to see Mark Jackson get another chance. I don't know if it'll happen. Jeff Van Gundy would be a major adjustment for him. Uh, where do you land on that? With Jeff Van Gundy, he doesn't seem to like basketball. Right <laughs> like whenever, you, whenever you listen to him on ESPN, so I don't know how that, what happens with that team. Like, Can he be enthusiastic about coaching modern-day players when he seems to despise the modern-day game? I would love to see him. Uh, he seems like a fun personality, so I'd love to see him on the sidelines. I've never been a Mark Jackson guy I would, however, just for the – because I am a big fan of just like the off-court ridiculousness, I would love to see what happens to a Nets team that has Kyrie, KD, and then either Jason Kidd or Mark Jackson all leaving the locker room. It just feels like hilarity would end up ensuing at some point. Man, I wonder if uh, this NBA season returns if they would think about um, letting Kyrie and KD play together if they're healthy. I mean, they might both be healthy, right, when this is uh, like a few months from now. Yeah, I mean, if – if I know they've, I think they've ruled it out already, but like, if we don't have, if the NBA is just dead set on having a playoffs at some point and they say, you know, we're going to start the playoffs in mid October, you have to wonder at that stage, if maybe one of them plays, perhaps it's more likely to be Kyrie because he at least played already this year. Um, I personally wouldn't just because the nets are, you know, they're yeah. not great. And so unless you're going to have both of these guys playing, I don't really see the incentive, but uh, it would be, I'm just anxious to see basketball again in general, but I would, of course, love to see one of them return or, or just watch KD be able to, to play again because that was just – Achilles injuries are always devastating, but just the kind of the circumstances under which it came, like in the finals, him playing when he was already injured, it, it just really stunk. Do you think the season's going to return, Dan? I am a pessimist by nature, so <laughs> my gut reaction would be No. Uh, there are a lot of people, though, who disagree with me, and I, perhaps that's encouraging. And what everyone keeps coming back to, and it's a strong point, there's so much money at stake. And yes. money has a, has a way of finding a way. So if the NBA is willing to drag this out and playing without fans in some central location 
in October and shortening the playoffs so that it only lasts like four, six weeks with a training camp or something. Um, if they're willing to go that extreme route, I, I guess you could argue that, yeah, there'll be a season at some point. I don't know what it will, what it will look like, but I'm just looking at everything that's happening around the world and how long it's taking not just countries to, to reopen, but those that have reopened are getting second waves of the coronavirus oh, in certain instances. And so I wonder, you know, what happens to the NBA, even if they isolate these guys, what if, if one person gets sick in this, whether it's Vegas, Disney World, wherever it is, if one player, one basketball operations member uh, tests positive for corona, then you have to shut the whole thing down again. And so I'm just trying to wrap my head around all the logistics that would uh, – go into re- restarting the season at some point. So maybe do you fall anywhere differently on that? I think they're going to try and find a way to get it done. I'm really interested to see an NBA with no fans and how that would look because I think like a, a lot Pistons of game, maybe I feel like <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of mistakes are kind of hidden from the actual presentation of it. You know, the music, right. The, the, everything into it. Do you remember the the Knicks? I think tested it out for a, an entire half without music. The fans were still there, and it was eerie. So, if oh, I think they'll like, ha- they'll have to have music though if they don't have the fans, right? Yeah, I'm wondering if the inverse might be less spooky. But I, if it's something, if it's anything similar to that, um, I I really didn't enjoy the the no music. I want to see one game. I was looking forward to the Warriors Nets game without fans, but I I feel like there's a chance that it could end up be being really a weird experience from watching at home this game, uh, this, this arena, depending on where they're playing uh, without fans or, or could they end up in like sort of a smaller gym, like a summer league style? Yeah. Gym? I think that's what they're going to do. They're not going to be in the main arena, Dan, from what I'm hearing. That's going to be weird seeing the NBA finals being played. If it does come back in like this small arena, they should do it in a high school gym then like, let's go really grassroots and put them in a junior high school gym or something. And let's, let's see the best of five or best of seven finals there. Most definitely. UFC is, gonna, is supposedly going to continue on an island with no fans. On an island? Now, that's interesting. So the, yeah. so the NBA should buy an island. Just completely <laughs> somehow inoculated or disinfected, whatever they could do. And that's where, that's where basketball will take place until there's a vaccine, I guess. Dad, great stuff. You're always welcome back on the show. Uh, let my listeners know where they could find you. Um, they can just check me out on Twitter. That's where I promote all my work. Uh, my handle is my name, at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E. And uh, thank you for having me, Andrew. Anytime, you're always welcome back on the show. Talk soon. Thank you for listening to Combo's Court and big shouts to Dan for joining in. We appreciate you. Combo Nation, let me know how you feel about the show right in the comments section of your Apple Podcast app. Rate and review wherever you listen to Combo's Court. Stay safe out there and be on the lookout for episode 159. Combo out.